homily today is titled Blessing the Truth. Um, I started this week uh, reading through the lectionary passages, um, the ones for today. I often do this if I'm going to be speaking on them. And as I read through them, I noticed myself holding an awareness of the various holidays the month of June brings. Um, perhaps not holidays that have been deemed important in the church calendar, but certainly important to many of us in our actual lives. Um, Pride Month, uh, Juneteenth, Father's Day, Summer Solstice, they have all come and nearly gone now. I was struck by how each one of these interacted with the readings for me in ways I didn't anticipate. It's surprising, really, to find what might seem like a static structure, such as the lectionary, come alive in our present reality. And I think this aliveness is what keeps me coming back again and again to God and to church, um, to community, to rituals like confession and communion, and practices like prayer and blessings. Um, in her latest book, um, Kate Buller, that Kate Buller has written, um, it's called Blessing the Lives We Actually Have, she writes this. The act of blessing is the strange and vital work of noticing what is true about God and ourselves. And sometimes those truths are awful, like blessed are those who mourn. I mean, scripturally, it's true. Jesus said it. But does any of that feel true when our worlds are ripped to pieces? No. Or blessed are the poor. Again, it doesn't feel true at all. But in the act of blessing the world as it is and as it should be, we are starting to reassemble what we know. Maybe, God, you are here in the midst of this grief. Maybe, God, you can provide for this specific problem or be discoverable when I'm buttering this toast. When I bless the actual days I am living in, I suddenly find I have a great deal more to say that is honest. I am mourning. I am bored. I am exhausted. I am apathetic. I discover that I am freed from the need to declare everything hashtag blessed. Good or bad, I don't have to wait to say something spiritually true. I can simply bless it all instead. Let's sit in that passage. Uh, so last week, Walter spoke about the courage it takes to bear honest witness to our experiences and explained that this is the kind of truth Jesus says will liberate us or set us free. And I love how Kate's description of blessings underlines the truth of our lives. It's not an attempt to deny, but a profound recognition of our present reality, whatever that might be. Lately, due to some painful life circumstances, I have become increasingly aware of my own impulse or desire to deny the truth. I come by this honestly. I think we all do. Um, learning to remain present and accept our own realities with honesty and courage will be a lifelong journey for each of us. I know this. Um, and too many of us, particularly in the evangelical church, were groomed to present a polished life. Only then were we presentable, not only for the public, but for God, too. <clears throat> I've been watching the Netflix documentary about the Duggard family from my kids and counting, and it's titled Shiny Happy People. 
Um, this is a great title for an inside look at the beliefs that shaped this family and many like them. The truth is, it has often been the church that demanded this kind of denial or suppression of reality, of who we really are. And if you're like me, perhaps you believed this kind of denial was what it meant to follow Christ. I grew up believing that there were certain markers of a righteous life or godly life and I wanted my own life to reflect them. So naturally, I wanted to deny the thoughts, experiences, and emotions that fell outside of those ideals. If my life in Christ was meant to reflect the fruit of the Spirit, as we sang in Sunday school, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, what was I to do with all the feelings that fell outside of that. I was deeply ashamed of my own humanity, and my response to that shame was to push it down and to deny and avoid the reality of my own experience. After all, hadn't I died to sin and been raised with Christ? So like I said, the last couple of months have been pretty brutal for me, and I'm so grateful that I get to be honest about that here and with the people I work with. I cannot be a polished up pastor for you. Uh, <laughs> and I know that that's not what any of us wants. Not really. I have encountered heartbreak and challenges I didn't expect, and I know you do too. Because life just keeps coming at us, doesn't it? The good and the awful, trials and triumphs alike. Kate writes this, quote, When we find ourselves caught up in a cultural framework that only prioritizes agency, our ability to act, it will make it hard to accept something that deep down we also know to be true, that most of what defines our lives happens to us. So what do we do with all of that? with all the things that happen to us? Where do we bring the truth of our actual lives and to whom do we turn from the place we are in? I think Hagar has something to show us here. Hagar's story comes to us early in the Hebrew scriptures. In Genesis 16, she is introduced as the slave of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And Hagar's story is soaked in systemic oppression slavery, racism, violence, abuse. And though she lived centuries before us, her story and experience transcends time, revealing realities we continue to face today. Humanity is still caught up in those same systems of hierarchy, patriarchy, racism, and oppression. Juneteenth is a day to commemorate the end of slavery in the United States after the Civil War. And it has been celebrated by black communities in the state since the late 1800s. It was only in 2021 that it became a federal holiday in the U.S., though. Womanist theologians today recognize themselves and their own experience in the story of Hagar, a slave of African descent who has been raped and beaten and sent away to die with her son in the wilderness. In today's reading, we find Hagar sent out to the wilderness with her son on her own because of a patriarchal system 
and Sarah's participation in that system, which likely stems from her own oppression. She becomes jealous and afraid that Hagar's son Ishmael will steal her son Isaac's blessing or inheritance. There's not enough for both of them. Just two chapters before this story is told, Hagar ran away from her captors and abusers, which were Sarah and Abraham, during her pregnancy. And in that story, she, a black enslaved woman, becomes the only person in the Bible to name God. Elroy is the name she gives to God when she encounters the God who sees her. Hagar, who is not an Israelite or a man, gives God a name of her own. And that name is written into the Torah and it remains. How's that for smashing the patriarchy? <laughs> The reading says that Hagar wanders in the desert until her food and water are gone. And then, knowing Ishmael, her son, is going to die from dehydration, she places him some distance from her because she cannot bear to watch him suffer. And then she sobs. And I wonder how many women have sobbed for their children in these very conditions. Hagar's experience is not just her own. And God sees Hagar, and God hears the cries of her son, and God opens her eyes and shows her to water, and Ishmael lives, and a blessing is given right where they are. But everything is not okay. Hagar's life is definitely not hashtag blessed. But it is hallowed. It is holy. And God does not leave her in her hour of despair. When it comes to faith, I am not certain of much. But I do think that if God is anywhere, it has to be right where we are. Because where else could God be? Imagine with me that it's Hagar praying the psalmist prayer as her child cries out on the brink of death. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Me too. <laughs> uh, today is the anniversary of my mother's death. She died nine years ago now. And I was 33 at the time. She was 52. I had the privilege of being at her side for two weeks after she was removed from life support. And this might have been the, the most time I had ever spent with my mom since I was a toddler. My mom, who never really could mother me, gave me two weeks, about as long as one can give without food and water, to say goodbye. It was a mixed blessing. My days in that hospital room with her gave space to every kind of emotion you can imagine to rise up, and by some miracle, I did not push them down. I felt love, yes, but also grief for what never was, and anger, and pain, and confusion, and fear. And I let all of that come into the room with us. 
And when I recall it now, the hallowedness of that space is undeniable to me. But in the midst of it, I wanted more than that. And I begged God for a sign, not of God's goodness so much, but of God's presence. Are you even here? I couldn't tell. I couldn't see God or hear God or even really feel God. But what I know is that that too is holy. That too is blessed. In his book, Chasing Francis, Ian Morgan Cron writes, all ministry begins at the ragged edges of your own pain. Churches should be places where people come to hear the story of God and to tell their own. That's how we find out how the two relate. Tell your story with all of its shadows and fog so people can understand their own. I'm still learning to trust this path, and I hope we can learn that together. That this church and this community can be a place where we bring our truest self, and that we can encourage each other, that we can give each other courage to be honest about the truth. I think Brenda was right when she spoke out last week, saying that the truth hurts. It does. But I think I am learning that what hurts more is the isolation that comes when we conceal the truth from those around us. So there are friends beside you here, and I think those friends are the body of Christ on your left and your right. And you can let us be that. We can be that for each other. So I want to end with one of Kate's blessings. It's a blessing titled, um, A Blessing for Being Human. Blessed are we, living in this small space, in these bodies we now inhabit, within the walls of circumstance, in these short years of finite strength, and with these eyes that only see so far. We are fragile, contingent <clears throat> beings, yet blessed are we, recognizing that it is our limits as well as our gifts that can shape the natural contours of what is possible, that guide us to what is ours to do. Blessed are we when it is not our, great, our greatness that speaks, but our littleness. For it is our vulnerability that is the truest thing about us, the place where mutual connection is possible, where competition ends and community begins. And oh, how blessed are we in our fragility and dependence and brokenness, knowing that you, oh God, hold all things together. There is no cure for being human, but for each other. We are all good medicine. Amen. Can I just say something quickly? I was so worried and upset when I found out that Pete was going. And I'm Confidentially, I'm not happy that we haven't seen him, but I didn't say that. We are so lucky to have her, and I, I never thought anybody 
could replace him. And not that you're, you know, I know that I'm not saying you replaced him, but thank you because we're we're going on because of you. And I didn't think that we could. And I even thought about, like I said before, hooking up with the Episcopal Church at home. But I'm here, and I know I said that before, but. Thank you so much for keeping us going. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Yeah, I guess I want to say thanks too for um, the courage uh, with which you have borne witness to the truth this morning, um, both by, by telling us God's story, the story of God's presence, and by speaking your own truth. May the love of the Father, the tenderness of the Son, and the presence of the Spirit gladden your heart and bring peace to your soul this day and all days.